You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So on that great note, uh, we start a new series. And one of the things I've been wondering is, what is it with soccer players that every time you see a soccer player on the news, they're always doing this? Always, I guess for the people on the podcast too, I better explain what I'm doing. It looks like a chicken dance, doesn't it? But they're always doing some sorts of funny things with their legs and their knees. Is, it, is that because they're soccer players or is there a specific reason behind it? I, I wasn't sure. Being a rugby man myself, I thought uh, looking goofy and stupid uh, is just part of what soccer players do. Well, but look, maybe there's Prince. I thought, I'm just assuming, I'm assuming, and if you're a soccer player, you can correct me after the message. I'm just assuming that the principle is this, that no matter... How silly and stupid these uh, particular drills that they're doing are. Uh, what they're really doing is they're taking a practice and they're so driving it into the centre of their life and their neurological system that there will come a point when they're eventually on the field that all of these moves and these practices will naturally overflow from who they are. And now the reason I'm talking about soccer players is because let's, let's be real here. There are a lot of things that Christians do that look as stupid as soccer players doing this, Right? Um, why, do, why do Christians sing in church? Uh, why do Christians give their money away? Why do Christians eat bits of bread and drink gra- grape juice every week? Uh, why do Christians make friends with people that everyone knows if you're out in the real world, they'd, there'd be no way they would be hanging out with your clique? Uh, why, do, why do Christians welcome strangers into their community Uh, with little or no barriers? Why do Christians forgive people when from the world's perspective they might see that that person is absolutely wrong and yet a Christian still forgives? So, In in other words, Christians do drills. They do things in their lives that look stupid from the outside. And and, and maybe you're checking out the whole Christianity thing out and you're thinking, yeah, it does look crazy. Let's be real. You, You come into a worship service and you're wondering, look, do I, don't I put my hand up? Do I stand up? When do I stand up? We'll have a look at that in a second. But there are a lot of things that on the surface, if we're real, can look a bit funny. And so that's why over the the next six weeks, we're going to have a series looking at some of the fundamental practices of the Christian life. And tonight, we're going to have a look at the question of why do Christians sing? And so we go to perhaps the uh, ultimate verse in the Bible when it comes to singing or to worship at Psalm 95. And you can read with me through verses 1 to 7. It's great because there's a song about this. Every time I read this passage, I can't help but sing it in my head. Uh, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Uh, Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Now, that's the question we're asking tonight. Why do Christians sing? Or more accurately, really what I'm asking here through this message is, uh, why do Christians worship? That's the question I'm asking. The question you might be asking is, why is Sam talking about worship and not Michael Thomas, our worship pastor? And, uh, and he assures me that he is critiquing my message 
very well tonight. He said he was going to sit on the sound desk with a microphone, so if there's anything out of the range that was not quite up to speed with where he's coming at, um, then he was going to chip in like the voice of God himself. But here's... <laughs> here's, why, here's why the preacher, so to speak, is talking about worship tonight. Because I want you to see that worship is not, uh, worship is not just a style issue. Worship is not just a staffing issue. Worship is a spiritual issue. Worship is a fundamental part. It's why we start with it tonight to the Christian life. And so it's more than fitting that I talk about it tonight from the Word of God. And so really the approach to try and keep it simple for Mikey's critique. I just want to look at what is worship? Why do Christians worship? And how is it slightly different? And then how, how are we supposed to worship? So worship, what is it? Why do we do it? Um, how should we be doing it? That's where we're going tonight. The first question is really, what, what is worship? And you see, most people think when you talk about worship, that worship is the sort of thing that you do when you go to church. But the reality is, we're all, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, worshipping constantly. I mean, how, do, uh, how could I put it? Imagine, imagine that you, your, your grandma, she gives you this old ring that she has. It's nice, it's quaint, it's pretty, uh, but it's old. And so you throw it into the sock drawer, you throw it in the top of the sock drawer and you pretty much forget about it. Uh, but one day you have this friend around and she happens to be a jeweller. And so you're rummaging through the sock drawer. I don't know what you'd be doing with your friend rummaging through the sock drawer, but she happens to see it and she starts going crazy. And she stops you and she grabs the drawer and she throws the sock away and she grabs this thing and she says, what, what is this? I, I, I never thought I would see one of these ever in my life. I can't believe what I'm seeing here. Can't you see the diamonds and can't you see the, the cut? And this is the most phenomenal thing. And oh, you've got no idea who the designer is. They're phenomenal. They were 16th century. They only made like five of these particular things. I've seen these things in books. I've studied at Jewelry University, but I never thought I would see it in person. <laughs> now, what happens to you? Uh, you're... you're is it me or would your entire attitude to the ring change? Your whole stance, your whole posture towards the ring would change. Here's the first thing. Firstly, you'd begin, you yourself now would begin to admire and adore the ring in a way that you never had before. The, 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 your friend, the jeweler, is pointing out the intricacies and you're filling your mind with awe and this, this reality is dawning on the possession that you now have. Here's the other thing. Then the admiration leads you into thinking out the implications for your life right now. If, if I had one of those in my sock drawer, you know, I know what I'd be thinking. I could go on a world trip. Um, imagine what I could do with it. This thing's priceless. Is it, is it 100,000? Is it 250,000? What, what sort of cool things could we be doing? And, and then out of that, guess what happens? You change your behaviour. Your attitude changes your behaviour towards the ring, doesn't it? The first thing you do is you sleep with it under your pillow for crying out loud. And then you think, oh, I've got to get to the shops this week. I've got to get a safe. I've got to put this thing in a safe. And, and then your jeweler friend says, you know, if you cleaned it, it would almost double in value. And so you should go and clean it. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll go and clean it. And then your friend says, well, the only person that can clean it is a jeweler in Switzerland. It's going to cost you three and a half thousand to fly there, plus their cost of cleaning. And you go, so what? It's going to double in light of this incredible ring. Okay, I'm going to Switzerland. No, notice what's happened here. 
You know, your whole attitude's changed. The jeweler's shown you beauty. The jeweler's shown you value. The jeweler has shown you a reality that was right under your nose and you had no idea. You know what that that is? The the jeweler is showing you worth-ship. I haven't got a lisp tonight. Worth hyphen ship, okay? (laughs) Because that's the old English word that is used for worship. And it fundamentally, see, Mikey's nodding. He's like, correct, tick. <laughs> it's, it's the old English word, which means, it, it means to, hang on, I'll make sure I get this right, mate, to ascribe worth or value to something. To look at an object and to realize its beauty, but not just its beauty, its worth. And so here we have a definition of worship. Here's where I'm coming at. You ready, Mikey? Worship is to place ultimate worth on something with your mind and with your will and with your soul to the extent that it changes your behaviour. It's to place ultimate value on something, ultimate worth on something with your, with your whole person, your mind, your will, your emotions, everything, so that it begins to change your behaviour, just like the ring. Now, here's the question. Are you already worth shipping? Are you already ascribing ultimate value to someone or something? Because the modern person says, oh, I don't worship, I don't go to church. But that's, that's not what I said. I said, are you ascribing ultimate value to something? You see, if worship is to place that ultimate value in someone or something to the extent that it's consciously changing your behaviour, then it's possible that you're doing that every day with all sorts of different things, right? If you want, you want a few quick litmus tests, um, grab the back of your Northside News or a bit of pen or your iPhone. Here's some quick lit- litmus tests. Here's, here's how you know if you're worth shipping something. Um, yeah, have you ever been in, in a situation where you're in the presence of something or you're in a place and time flies? You just don't even think about it. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there to that place or, uh, or it doesn't matter who that person is. Time just seems to fly, you know. Valentine's Day on Friday. Maybe, maybe there will be some worth shipping there. Uh, second one, things that, things that worry you. The things that you say, unless I have this, you know, the, just the thought of it beginning to creep away from you, it brings you a sense of anxiety. There could be worth ship there. You are ascribing it an ultimate value. Here's the other, I think almost obvious one. Where do you effortlessly invest your time and your money? Uh, Jesus was a cluey guy when he said, uh, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And wherever your time and your money effortlessly flows from who you are, that's a sign that you could be worshipping that someone or something. And so you see what I mean? Everyone, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, can be worshipping. Everyone builds their lives. Everyone sets their hopes. Everyone... Uh, ascribes ultimate value to someone or something, that's worship. And what you think about the most, what you worry about the most, what you invest in the most is normally a good indicator that that is what you really worship. And so the question here for us tonight, if we're already doing that for you tonight, for your friends, if we come to acknowledge that we, we already could be worshipping something, there could be something with ultimate value, then I guess my question for you is would... Would you like to ascribe that worth and that value to God? You see, because it's not that difficult to translate a cross, and that's what leads us now to, if if that's what worship is, to ascribe ultimate value to something, uh, then really, when we look at why do Christians worship, fundamentally, it's because 
uh, we're just taking that same dynamic that's happening here and we're translating that to God himself. Now let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, Mike McQueen, one of our worship leaders, uh, the other week uh, latched onto something that's a real theme for me at the moment. And I said in the morning congregation a couple of weeks back that uh, a, a Toyota Corolla doesn't turn into a Porsche just by sitting in the garage. And nor does uh, a person change into the likeness of Jesus Christ just by sitting in church. And so what I'm saying there is that, that fundamentally uh, there is a change process that has to happen within the Christian. And, and underneath all that was asking the question, is it possible that you could have someone that says they are a Christian? I believe in God. I believe he's the creator of the universe. And yet 10 or 15 or 20 years down the track, they're still just as grumpy and they're still just as bitter and they're still just as angry and they're still just as frustrated as where they were 10, 15 years ago. Why is that? The, the reason is because the reason they're saying I'm so big in my beliefs about God, but I'm not seeing any change in my life. Here's the first thing as to why we Christians worship. The first reason is that there's no bridge between your belief and your character. Worship is the bridge between your belief, what you think in your head, and what actually overflows of the heart. It's a bridge, and, and here's what I mean. Uh, there's two ways to remove rock from the F3, or the is it M1 now that they call it. If you, if you go down the M1, do this. Don't do this while you're driving. But if you look closely at the rock walls at the side of the M1 when you're driving down there, you'll notice that there's all these funny sort of semicircular gouges out of the rock. And that's because there's two ways to, to move rock at that level. You can pick away at the front of it with a little pick, and chip away little bits, or uh, you can get a massive drill and drill down meters and meters into the very center of the rock, and then you can stuff that sucker full of dynamite and then light the dynamite and set the thing off and explode, and the whole rock face just crumbles away. You've seen it on National Geographic, it's, you know, it's everyday science. Uh, now, you think, what the heck's this got to do with worship? <laughs> when Christians sing, when we sing like we have been tonight, it's not just because we like a good song. It's not because we just like a good tune. It's not because we just got to find something to employ Michael Thomas for during the week. <laughs> we sing, we sing, and Mikey's going to be, he would be much better place to, to talk through this. I can only touch on it tonight. We sing because there is something profoundly uh, physiological in us when we sing songs there's something there's something happens in that moment to us not just sort of mentally and not just in our thought life but it affects all of it the the emotion you know what i'm saying right like when you when you hear a, a wonderful piece of music it shapes you it changes you it forms you and when it comes to christian worship what we're doing here when we have these songs is we're not just trying to warm up so we can get ready for the message uh, what what we're doing is we're, we're we're drilling the holes deep into your soul we're beginning to open up the gaps. We're going to get to this in a sec, in which the Word of God can be dropped into the center and explode from the inside out. And not only that, you know, I was watching um, Songs of Praise on Foxtel the other night. Yes, I am an under 30. Uh, well, I'm not under 30. I'm under 40, but wishful thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm some under the age of 40 that watches hymns. 
And uh, they're because there is something wonderfully powerful about hymns. And, and again, that's a whole other message. But, but uh, listening to the head of the Methodist church, they, say, they said that uh, music and song transplants truth in a way that not much else can. Here's what I mean. Anyone have a birthday here this week? Claire, it was your birthday this week. Happy birthday. That's cool. Why don't we sing Claire happy birthday? Mikey, can you lead us off? Yeah, I'm dead serious. <laughs> Mate, what, what are you getting paid for? We're on the pot, bro. I don't care whether it's worship or... Thank you. Day to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Claire. Happy birthday to you. Oh, sorry, it's not about you. <laughs> Worship point number three of the message tonight. Um, happy birthday. Do you think Claire's going to forget that? when the, the moment in which her brothers and sisters and the whole community, how much more powerful is it? I mean, just saying happy birthday, Claire, was it to hear the music and to hear the gathering? And See what I'm saying? A hole just got drilled into the very, very centre of her being that she might look back on that and think about that 50 years' time. I hope, and certainly by the way that Mikey played that so beautifully. <laughs> anyway, can, can you guys see why we sing? We're singing because it, it, it transplants uh, truth into the very heart of our soul and we're taking those same dynamics that we're saying in everyday worship of ascribing values to things and here's the next step in it. So first of all, it bridges. It bridges the words like it did then for Claire. It bridges that into the very depths of our soul. It transplants it so we don't forget what we're singing to begin with. But more importantly, it changes the object of our worship. Now, this, this, is, this is vital. You can't miss this here. It changes the object. Christian worship changes the object of our worship if we're doing it already. Now, why is this so important? Look, say that I, say that I come up to you and I say, look, how about I sell you a pack of chewy? That's chewing gum in Australian. Uh, a, a pack of chewy for 10 bucks. What are you going to say? Chewing gum for 10 bucks? You're kidding. Forget it. Uh, what if I came up to you and said, uh, what if I sell you an Audi for 10 bucks? Are you going to have a go at the offer? You see, $10 is never just $10, is it? $10 is always dependent on the object that is before you. And so when Psalm 95 comes in, and there's lots, there's lots of, it sounds like, your classic sort of, over-the-top type church, singing for joy, shouting, lots of noise, all this sort of thing happening, singing for joy, shout for the Lord, let us come before him, thanksgiving, yes, praise, praise, praise. Here's a reason for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Christian worship takes us to the ultimate object. You know, in some ways, it's humbling. That's why it says bow down in worship because it's sort of saying like a New Yorker would say, what'd you ever do? You know, this, this guy created the mountains and the city. What'd you ever do? You know, he, 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 he's, he's, the stars are spinning around his little finger. What'd you ever do? 
And, and we, we are brought up into the presence and the focus on an incredible object of worship. And what that means is that anyone who truly encounters God in worship is changed irrevocably. The biblical proofs there, Isaiah, remember he goes into the temple and he sees the angels and the glory of the Lord and he hardly speak and, and God says to him, Isaiah, I've got a little job that I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go and be a preacher for the rest of your life to a whole bunch of people that's never going to listen to you. And he says, yeah, all right, send me. Yeah, I'll volunteer. I'm up for it. Uh, or you've got Stephen in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. He's one of the first disciples. And he goes in and he starts preaching to the Jews how they've just crucified the God that they are supposed to be worshipping and loving, just crucified it. It said this whole mob with this gnashing of teeth are coming at him ready to stone him. And, and that they're ready to drag him out and shove him into a hole and bury him up to his neck and, th- and dump stones on his head. And what does it say in Acts 7 when they say to him, have you got any final words, Stephen? He didn't say, oh, I was kidding. What does he say? It says he didn't even see the crowd. All he saw, it says, was God himself and Jesus sitting at his right hand. Now, how is it that a person facing a lifetime of disappointment has a freedom and an enthusiasm to volunteer for ministry? And how is it that a person who is about to cop stones in the head until he's beaten to death uh, can be full of courage and wonder? It's the 10 buck principle. They had a sense of proportion in accordance with the object that was before them. Chewy or an Audi? And when Isaiah and when Stephen engaged and saw God in the act of worship, they saw something so valuable in front of them that they went, yeah, of course it's going to cost us something. It could even cost us our life, but compared to this bargain, I'm in. So can you see yours and my problem tonight? Yours and my problem, and when we say, we say to ourselves, why aren't I a person of courage? Why aren't I a person of perseverance when my job is not going well? Our, our problem's not information. Our problem is a worship issue. And so here's why, because worship readjusts our sense of proportion. The very process of singing together engages the mind and the will and the spirit so we begin to see God for who he really is. I mean, what's your alternative tonight? You could be debating whether or not the girls from WA should still stay on My Kitchen Rules. What a a wonderful, glorious way for you to start the week. But engaging the act of Christian worship, you are, you are brought into this sense of wonder and of awe and otherworldliness and you are stretched in your capacity of understanding what this world is all about. And is it just me or is those sorts of people, are they the ones that are always whistling while they work? Are they the ones that always seem to find praise in things around them in the world? Uh, it's because worship enlarges your vision so your sense of perspective is changed. And all that we face, all the things that could cost us in the Christian life, it's a bargain in comparison to the object that's before us. So that's, that's why we worship as Christians. That's why we do all this. Now, finally, how do you worship? How should we be worshipped? And I guess the question when I say how do we worship is, you might have friends, you might be asking this question tonight when you see all this sort of stuff happening. You see the modern day church and you could be asking yourself, uh, how, how is... M- modern worship any different than a Coldplay concert? 
I mean, we've got the same drums and we've got um, the same keyboards, we've got the same piano, we've got the same graphics. Uh, how does it look any different from a Coldplay concert? And the answer there is that um, there's a dynamic um, behind all of this. There's, there's uh, something else. There's another person in the room. And, and you get a sense of this in Luke, uh, John chapter 4, when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman by the well, remember? And uh, they're, they're getting into a little battle about where people should be worshipping because the Samaritans said that God should be here and the Jews said that he should be up in the temple. And Jesus says, uh, no, sweetheart, there's going to be a time and an hour when all of God's people will worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. So that's the first thing we've got to understand when we worship, that we worship in spirit and truth. Now, uh, this is like... The best way I can explain that is um, back in the old days, the 80s, uh, you, you actually had to take uh, pictures with a camera and it had this stuff called film in it. And film had, well, negatives. Uh, it was treated with a funny compound called silver nitrate. And this particular agent, silver nitrate, made uh, the negative sensitive to light whenever it hit it. And so you would open the shutter for just a millisecond, be sensitive to light, and uh, that image that it saw for a second would be seared onto the negative forever. I mean, there are still negatives that we've got from our family photos back in the 80s. It's still there. It hasn't changed. Now, the, what, what I'm trying to get at here is that the, the Spirit of God, why it says Spirit and truth, the Spirit of God is like the silver nitrate on the negative that is your heart. That without that particular change agent in the room here tonight, you can hear, you can see the light of God, the Word of God, and it can come and it, and it can come into your, into your life and you can see that, but it, it's not going to change you, it's not going to affect you because... You don't have silver nitrate on your heart. You don't have that, that change on your heart. And so that's why it's his spirit and truth, because some churches, on one hand, they're all truth. And we've, some of, of us have experienced churches like that. They're, 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 they can be dry. They can be boring. It's, it's, it's all truth. And then other churches can uh, be all spirit. They can be all experience. <laughs> Uh, and it's all the lights. And, and you know what? It gets so close that it, it, it doesn't even resemble, or it more closely re resembles a Coldplay concert because there's not one mention of Jesus. There's not one mention of the Word. And, and it, it, it's spirit and truth. And so that's why yeah, Edmund Clowney, the great reform preacher, said, in worship there's always order and ardour. Ardour means passion. There's always, there was always truth and there's always the spirit. Here's the other thing uh, of how we worship, not only spirit and truth, but we worship corporately. It says, let's read along, come, let us sing for joy. It doesn't say come, let me sing for joy. Come, let you sing for joy. It says, let us sing for joy. Worship is to be corporate. Worship is meant to be shared together. A whole heap of different reasons anthropologically too to say why that we respond to that. Podcast from the ABC uh, that's up recently it talks about the way uh, that uh, singing corporately uh, releases certain chemicals in the brain that reduce that sense of fear that we have in the body. Now, I'm not saying that science is disproving or it's giving a reason for this. It's just affirming what the Bible's already saying. We, you are meant to sing corporately together. There's something profoundly powerful about it. But here's the other reason why corporate worship is so important. Uh, 
I had a friend, and I'll try and keep it vague because they still are good friends and I want to keep it that way. But they had another special friend um, who, to be honest, I really found quite boring. Uh, just one of those people where uh, she didn't say much. You'd go out for dinner, she didn't talk much. And uh, my first impressions were, like, he, he's a great guy and she seems a lovely girl, but there just wasn't any spark, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah, I, leave it or take it. But that's, that's his, his preference. And... And so um, it wasn't until uh, Kristen and I got the chance to go away with them for a week and a half um, that we laughed our heads off. And when we're all in a, in a group, suddenly uh, she's cracking jokes and I'm thinking, this is one of the funniest people I've met. <laughs> now, why, why the change? I don't think it had to do with the time frame. The reason for the change is there was something that that corporate environment was drawing out in that person. Whenever I engaged her one-to-one, it seemed deadpan, but get a few other people around in the room and she came alive. And that is because all people, all people, I guess the principle is here that um, all people can't be fully known apart from community. That, that there are friends in your life that you know deep down, uh, you see different sides to them. You ever been in that situation where you see a different side to them when they're around other people? Sometimes it's a good side, sometimes it's a bad side. But you see a different side to them purely because you're in corporate gathering. And so the heart of it is you cannot know God fully apart from corporate gathering uh, because uh, he too is a person. And so he too, we see different reflections of him when we gather in groups and when we sing together and we worship together. And here's the final one. Here's how else we can worship. There are lots of different ways I could have gone, but I want to pick the top three deliberately. You've got to worship deliberately. I guess what I'm saying there is, why do we do what we do here on a Sunday night? Uh, look, look at what Psalm 95 says when you read through. There's singing for joy, then there's uh, looking at God, and then there's bowing down. I mean, first five verses is praise, then there's some submission, then there's some confession in the middle, and then uh, there's some hearing and listening to the word of God at the end of the psalm. Guess what that is? That's a run sheet. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe for you right now by the Spirit of God, maybe like a hundred and something of you are going, oh, that's what Mikey does. That's what Michael Thomas, maybe starting to worship him, your, your appreciation of his value has just increased uh, twofold. <laughs> because we've got to understand, why do we do every bit of this service is deliberately crafted by my teammate? Not because this is a staffing issue, not because this is a style issue here, because it's a spiritual issue, because the, star, the psalm paints it out for us. The amount of time that he would spend in a week ensuring that we've got the right song and working with his leaders and all of that, trying to come in uh, to get us ready for this special moment. You know what Mikey does? Mikey's my driller. Mikey's my drill mate. You know, Mikey is the one that is getting all the team together to begin to work out how best we drill holes into your soul tonight. <laughs> so that Sam can come along with the word of God and just go plunk. And I'll leave it up to the spirit of God as to whether he's going to light the fuse for you tonight. But can you see that you need to engage worship deliberately? And here's, here's the point. Here's, I guess, what I'm getting at. And I think we're enough friends for me to say this. Here's what it means is, look, we, we have lots of reasons for being late into worship or we have lots of reasons for scooting out of worship early. Um, sometimes you can feel uncomfortable in church and you just want to get out of here. Um, sometimes you're late because the weather at Balmoral is just too good to be true. Just saying. 
I'm, I'm, you know, look, there are lots of good reasons that we're late every now and then from time to time. But here's the thing. If, if you catch yourself, you know in your heart of hearts tonight that you're a person that regularly is turning up late to worship, that doesn't see the value of us gathering together and singing before the word, that, 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 that doesn't get that all of this whole structure is deliberately placed so we can get the word of God into the very center of your soul. If you're not getting that, then you haven't understood the fundamentals of worship. You've got to do it deliberately. What that means for each and every one of us is we need to come into this place expectant that God is going to do something wonderful in worship, not the sermon. You've got to hear that, that tonight it's not about the information of my message. It's about the whole aspect of worship in this place. You've got to do it deliberately. And so I guess as we finish tonight, some of you might be saying, why am I not feeling it? (laughs) Why don't I feel it? Why don't I feel the wonder and the joy uh, some of you might be cynical. You're saying, you know what? This really does feel like a Coldplay concert. <laughs> uh, why, why, why is it not clicking for me? You know, part of, part of the reason could be it's like at home for me. I'm always having to reset my modem. Uh, I'm always having to reset my modem with Telstra. And what, what it helped me realize is that the messages and the packets that are coming through from the great ether that's the ethernet, um, it has to be filtered through this particular connection in order for my internet to work properly. And for me to understand what is happening. And so what I'm trying to say simply is, if you're not getting it, if you can't feel it, it's because you need a structural connection. You need a modem connection between you and God tonight in your worship. And, and, and that connection is Jesus Christ. And the reason you need him is because the problem is that anyone in the Bible, anyone in the world who comes before God in worship and truly sees God for who he is, truly sees God for who he is, there's a big problem there because when you come into greatness, it's like driving towards Ayers Rock. When you, when you get in front of something that's big and huge, the closer you get to it, the smaller you feel. And more importantly, when you get next to something that is incredibly, hugely perfect, the more imperfect you begin to feel. And wasn't that Isaiah's problem? Oh Lord, I'm not worthy. You are the holy, holy, holy I can hear, I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm unworthy, I'm unclean. It's a natural reaction. And so that's the problem. The, sm- the closer we get to him, it's difficult to worship him. And only through a structural connection to the truth of his death on the cross can you really get before God in worship. You're thinking, what the heck? What's the cross got to do with all of this? Remember Hebrews 12 says, but for the joy set before him, he endured I'm going to embellish here the pain and the agony and the suffering of the cross, but for the joy set before him. And when I, when I went back and, and read that verse again this week, I thought, is it me? Or does, does Jesus as a person start to sound like those other guys, like Isaiah? And does he start to sound like Stephen? You know, it, it, could it be that Jesus is looking at an object in front of him and it has a vision of an object that is so precious and so valuable and that he's ascribing abs- abs- such a worth to that thing that from his life is flowing courage and steadfastness and resilience and he's able to push through the pain. I don't know, is it me or is, he, is, is that starting to sound like what happened for these guys as well? And what became even more startling for me when I was reading this verse again is that until you see 
that that one thing of ultimate worth and value to Jesus Christ, that object that was set before him uh, beyond the pain and the agony and the suffering of the cross, when you see that that ultimate object that he is lifting up and ascribing worth and value to is you, then and only then for the first time can you step into the presence of a holy and a wonderful and a perfect and a big God, knowing that you're perfect and you're worthy and you're wonderful. And it begins to melt your heart. Friend, you need a structural connection. That's the modem piece. The cross is a very modem piece that will unscramble the truths of God in your life tonight. We all worship something or someone. I guess my question for you tonight then was, um, which object will result in a wonder and a sense of, of worth and an overflow of beauty in your life? And if you're asking tonight, how do I get it? The reality is it's always right underneath your nose. And as we move into this funny practice that we call worship, as clunky and as weird as it can feel for some of us tonight, whether you put your hands up, hands down, sing loud, sing flat, it doesn't matter. When we engage in the practice of worship, the truth of God empowered by the Holy Spirit is dropped you know, the very center of your soul. So my hope and prayer that both in spirit and in truth, the power and the glory of God has a potential to explode in your life tonight. It has a potential to explode now. It might explode three days, three months from now. But that's essentially why we Christians sing. Let's pray.